Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. I'm Dan Landrum, and with me today is... I'm the other guy. <laughs> That's hey. I'm the other guy. I'm Stephen Seifert. Uh, we're back a third week in a row. Is this real? Ooh, don't jinx us. Oh, I don't believe in jinxes. What is a jinx? I'm looking that up. Well, it's like a hex or something. You're talking no, witchcraft. No, but where, where's the word come from? Jinx? A jinx? Is it, it sounds like a very fast cat of some kind. Let's see. Uh, origin? <laughs> jinx. J-I-N-X. Right? A person or thing that brings bad luck. Do you know since I decided to quit thinking about luck, I've been a lot happier. That's good. Like, I can be on an airplane talking about a plane crash, and I am cool as a cucumber. All right, here it is. Here it is. This is Worldwide Words Investigation. Uh, Mark from Raymond, Mark Raymond in Australia wants to know, where. what are the origins of the word jinx? It's a strange word. It looks odd. At one time, dictionary makers thought they knew where it came from. However, research by two American lexicographers in the past decade have refuted the traditional view and provided us with its true origin. Explaining the background is going to need a moment. We don't we don't have a moment. So so it says uh, along the way you have to take in ancient Greek study of birds, witchcraft, nineteenth century vaudeville, and the history of baseball. Boy, this is a long article. That's too much. Yeah. It's a bird. Listen to this last night um <laughs> I was with some friends and I I found something online and I read it wrong. <laughs> I said um Jukeboxes make more money in the United States than baseball, movies, and theme parks combined. And everybody was like, really? Jukeboxes? I can't think of the last time I saw a jukebox. And yeah. I meant slot machines. That's Ooh, there's a difference. There is a difference. But can you believe that? Slot machines make more money in the U.S. than I baseball, can. movies, and theme parks combined. I do. You think that's all People... coming from those penny and nickel slots? No, I think it's coming from the the dollar and five dollar the big the big ticket slots. You know, most of the slot machines now you don't actually put coins into; you just use a card. So last so week, the denominations don't matter. Last week, you did this. Uh, you did the mid side demonstration on your voice, and then on the hammer dulcimer on on the podcast. And uh, I and your yeah. What what do you think? Oh, I like. I mean, I've listened to a lot of hammer dulcimers recorded with two microphones spaced by, what, two feet or something like that? I think most hammer dulcimer recordings are done with one microphone. Yeah, but I've mostly listened to yours with headphones. Critical listening, I mean. Yeah, mine have been separated by the width of the instrument. And this mid-side technique uh, with the cardioid and hypercardioid, they had a very... Intimate, nice, clear, comfy sound to me. It's very cool. Yeah. And so all your stereo image is coming from the differences in the reflections. From the room. Yeah. Yeah. But it's bizarre because, and I, how can I say this? uh, If the bottom rail of the dulcimer, which is closest to your body, if the mics are parallel with that, you get one sound. But if you turn them and you make them perpendicular to that, you get another sound because it's almost like you can still hear moving from one side of the instrument to the other. Because when one side gets loud, 
the other side gets soft and it's, I almost think of it like breathing in and breathing out. Uh, so anyway. if one thing you touched on last week was, um, you talked about having two of the same mic and I know there's such a thing as matched pairs, but what right. do you imagine if somebody out there wants to try this technique, what's the least they have to spend do you have you know, to do you have to have dual diaphragm microphones? Yes. One of them has to be able to yeah. You gotta go it's into Omni on one of them. Yeah. It's not a dual diaphragm. Right, right, I know. Yeah. It's just a diaphragm where both sides are charged. That's right. Right. And yeah, if there was a way to hack into like those Rode NT one mics. Remember those? Yeah. That were less expensive. But see, they don't have uh, pattern switching on them. So you, uh, you think a multiple pattern? It's got to have multiple patterns, yeah. Okay. You probably didn't follow the thread. Boy, we're going to lose people. But this is the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. I want to remind you once again that this is what we do. We're geeky. Hey, Steve. Yes, sir. Go to Facebook. You're going to like this because I know you haven't seen this. What's this that? is worth it. It's worth it. Go to Facebook. Go to my Facebook page. Yeah, I'm Anybody there. else who's listening, do that. And then uh, I gotta find me, and where find I posted yourself. the yeah where I posted the promo on my page for this podcast, Dulcimer Geek Podcast. So just scroll down till you see that big Dulcimer Geek logo, right? Past all the pictures of my grandkids and me at seventeen. Do you see it, Steve? Yeah. Now in that conversation, uh, click view more comments. Right, I'm there. and scroll down. To where you see a picture of some gear. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did read that, actually, from <clears throat> Doug Walter. Yeah, Doug used to be the engineer at WSMC, the huh. uh, NPR station when I was out there. And we, at the time, were recording the Chattanooga Symphony as well as uh, – uh, there was a – it doesn't matter. There was, there was an organ series, and we recorded a bunch of organ concerts that NPR broadcast – and in order for them to accept what we did, he had to build these things. He built those to NPR specs so we could do mid-side recordings because, you know, once upon a time, standards in radio were super strict, you know, what people would do. I think that's gotten lax lately, but anyway, isn't that cool? That's cool. You don't, you don't get much geekier than that. And <clears throat> we bought two 414s so, they could, so we could do that specifically. So these mics have been used for this for a long time. I wish you had posted a picture of your setup. Oh, you did, you did. Okay, so how how high above the hammer dulcimer? All right, so I'm going to say that that's the downside to this whole thing. Is it's about, they're in your line of sight just a little bit. So for me, they're about even with my nose. Oh. So what do you say, a foot high above it or what? Yeah, I didn't measure it. I've got them up higher now because I'm doing the podcast. But and then do you put them closer to the treble inches. strings or, or in the middle? No, dead center. Dead, dead center. center. Because, yeah, because you want to be able to get that that movement. Uh, the rig that I made for it is uh, something that Philip Lucky turned me on to. It's, uh, they're made for mounting cameras and lights and weird places, these little hooks called newer, and they're $15, $20 each. 
So that if, way, you don't have to have two stands. If we wanted to do this for mountain dulcimer, you would just position those out like a foot in front of the dulcimer. Yeah, maybe a little exactly. closer to the right hand or something. Yeah, I think closer to where you think the sweet spot is on your instrument. Just put it there. I had a funny thing I may have mentioned before, but this one guy recorded me a, about twenty years ago with a spaced pair, and when we listened back. Every once in a while, the stereo image would just wash like one side and then come back. It's because your hand? The hand on a on a McSpadden where you've got the hourglass design, you have sound holes on your left and right. I guess every time my hand went in front of one of the sound holes, maybe, and we were getting a a shift in the image. So that that's when he went to putting the mics right on top of each other. So... You know, and that that's kind of what I've used a lot. Right. And that's one of the disadvantages of either a spaced pair following the rule of thirds or an XY setup even because <clears throat> you could completely block one signal. This gives you a stereo image regardless because you're picking up more the reflections off of the room. So, What if you're in a anyway. real dead room? That's a good point. I don't know. What do you think? What What do you think would happen? I don't know. I guess I'm guessing there's always, unless you're in an, an <laughs> unless you are in an an echoic chamber <laughs> where there's no yeah. or little echo. Hey, my I, guess is it's going to sound like you're in a dead room. That's it. I have a scenario for you. I like. I think this is fun. All right. We talked a couple weeks ago about if your house burned down and everybody made it out safely and you were left with nothing. So what I want to know is, for a musician who teaches online, performs, does handouts, you know, podcasts, just all the stuff, book layout, whatever, what's the minimum amount of equipment you think you could pull together to be back in business in under a week? Including an instrument, including an instrument. First, I'm glad you ask it that way instead of like, what do you drag out of your house if you can only drag? <laughs> yeah, we those, leave it. We those, let it burn. That's what we those do. Those questions just stress me out. I mean, this fireman once uh, talked about when that heat hits you in a house, you just pass out. Oh, that's Under certain circumstances. So it's like, if you're not passed out, get out. Yeah. You know, ours caught fire a couple of years ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And we had 9-1 dialed. Oh, my. And and I then, and then the you house. turned into Fireman Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I was under the house in the crawl space with a fire extinguisher. Do you think you should have <clears throat> just let it burn down? No, I mean, you you were fairly certain you could get that. I was certain that if I, if I became uncertain, I was out of there and oh, the house yeah, was yeah, going to yeah, burn yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. All right, so back to the question. So, you know, let's say you don't have a lot of money either. Let's just let's say you have $1,000 in the bank, and of course you guys might need that for who knows what if the house just burned down. Yeah, but the only way that we can make money again is for you to get back in business. you got to be back in business. And you in might have – I figure you can count on – like if my house burned down, I could count on getting a dulcimer from you – Maybe an old iPhone. I don't know. What What's the least we need to do what we got to do for a, a, a short period of time? I want an instrument with a playing leg. You got to have an instrument. Yeah. I want a hammer dulcimer. It doesn't have to have 
I think I would rather, if I felt like I must go and make some money immediately, I would want to hammer dulcimer with, with some hammers and a playing leg uh, so that I could go somewhere right now and start playing. Now, the obvious thing to throw in is I think an iPhone, which has a tuner. You got your tuner, you got your video camera. You know, I think you could. <laughs> now you're right. No, or how about that's this? That's true. Yeah, that's that's true. Or I'll tell you what happened to me in California is I lost my iPhone. And uh, I went to a local phone store. And this girl said, look, if you've got insurance, you know, you're going to have a phone soon. And she sold me an Android phone. I think it was $39. I forget. <laughs> and I was surprised. I installed Everything I need on it, my credit card uh, app, you know, e Skype, everything, every metronome, tuner, all this. I got everything on there. My Gmail. I was doing directions, you know, for almost nothing. Uh, now, I don't think it wasn't optimum, but I bet you could get a t one to two hundred dollar phone, maybe even a cheap iPhone. So you got an instrument, you got your little pocket computer. You could probably do a lot with just those two things. Yeah. I think I'm going to try to even make it without the phone to begin with. <clears throat> right, what do, what do you, I don't know. How do you do that? If, Cheap, well, have a $200 Walmart Windows laptop. <laughs> I guess I'm just talking about what I would use to make money so I could buy the other things that I think I need. Right. And you got to go to a gig, you know, you're going to have to. Yeah, I'm not above hitchhiking. I mean, we get by with a little help from our friends, too, if, if I needed a ride. You know, Angie and I, we only have one car. And we're two people. And that, for somebody who doesn't live in a city, is almost bizarre these days, but. We decided that it was possible for us to do it. You know, I almost said something negative, and I didn't. Uh, it's like <laughs> it's like when people say, "Why did you homeschool your kids?" I think the automatic answer often is something negative, like, "Well, public schools or blah blah blah," or "I didn't want you know this." But r the real reason we homeschooled our kids was because we could, and it seemed like the right thing to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the reason we went to one car is because we thought about it. It's like, yeah, <clears throat> I think we can make that work. And it's inconvenient every now and then. So that's why I'm saying I think if I had an instrument, I could go somewhere. I could go down to the Tennessee Aquarium and start playing. <clears throat> and, and you know, you. I think this is a bit philosophical, but it's important and real. That the thing that you don't lose, if, if you lose all your stuff, is your reputation, you know, and the as the person you've the person you've become and the person people know you as as right? imperfect as it may be, as absolutely <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying it's anything awesome, but still, you can't they can't take that away from you. Uh, you can't burn that down. Well, well here's <laughs> you can burn it down. here's another uh, angle on that. So um, I don't have fully funded Roth IRA. What are they called? <laughs> yeah, Roths or the Rothschild IRA. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't have a big retirement, but I do have 
my musical reputation and I have my intellectual property like books, recordings and stuff. I think sometimes when we get older, as long as we have our health and our mind, um, a little bit of our retirement is that, I mean, I guess you could just say it's work, but it, it is some assets that hang over to your older years, you know? Yeah. I was talking to someone yesterday whose son <clears throat> is, uh, I won't mention his name, but he's a uh, 58-year-old musician in Nashville. Well, I'm a 58-year-old musician here, and he's talking about retiring because he went with the uh, lo- the Nashville Union and the Local 1000, and he actually has some retirement through that. Did you ever think about doing that since you're in Nashville? I joined the union a long time ago when David Schnaufer got sick and I, I did that orchestra work for the first time. And um, I, I was a member of it for many years. You know, I'd heard a lot of bad things about unions, but back in the late 90s or middle middle to late 90s, uh, the Nashville union was doing all kinds of neat stuff that seemed to be different from a lot of the stereotypes you might hear. Uh, bad stereotypes, but it was, um, and David was, he wasn't all excited about unions, but he said that the Nashville union was run by musicians. The people at the top were well-known musicians. I think, I forget if it was Harold Bradley or somebody, but, um, I did well, it. John McCutcheon for years was the president of the, right. The, the local, local 1000, which is really interesting. And Steve Yulberg's yeah. often encouraged me and a lot of other people to check that out. And you know, the, the local one, here's the difference. The Nashville Union had all these weird things you had to maneuver around for somebody who's in the dulcimer world. You know, the, a lot of people in the dulcimer world, they don't want to get these union contracts and all that stuff. But the, the local 1000, the traveling union, they seem to have made some accommodations for like folk festival musicians, you know, people who kind of do it the way we do, not not Nashville studio musicians or I, th- I think we, uh, I can't believe we really haven't done much with that, actually. Maybe we should look into it. How are they doing nowadays? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that, I don't know if John's involved or not. For, the, for those of you listening who don't know that name, John McCutcheon is a uh, folk musician, singer, guitar player, plays about everything, hammer dulcimer player as well. One of the, a lot of people were introduced to the hammer I dulcimer. I really like John his McCutcheon. voice. I know, me too. I like his songwriting. There was this, the way I was introduced to him originally was this old video where he went, then this is, I don't, he looks 17. I mean, he may have been 21, I don't know. But he goes and visits Kentucky dulcimer builder, player, singer, I.D. Stamper. Yeah. And um, it was one of these, you know, that's when a lot of people were taking recording devices and, and, film cameras and they were documenting older folk musicians in the 70s i think it was in the 70s late 70s early 80s i'm not sure but uh john a lot of it was mountain dulcimer based and he was interviewing id stamper and playing with him and then there was somewhere john played hammer dulcimer with id on mountain and whenever i think of john mccutcheon I just think of those that that film. Everybody should check that out. Look it up. Huh, okay. I've not seen that. I mean, it's like John McCutcheon got bigger, right? He got 
bigger than dulcimer festivals. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the, and there are some songs from, goodness gracious, from that I've had in my head for thirty years that are John McCutcheon songs. That uh, I think his album was it was the album titled "Barefoot Boy with Boots On." That <clears throat> I think was his his biggest breakthrough, but. When I think of uh, Happy Birthday, I think of It's Your Birthday, I Wish You Many More. Remember that one from John? No. Health and Wealth and Friends by the Score. I got to say, I haven't listened to a lot of his albums. I mean, I've seen him at large festivals like Winfield. There might have been a couple others, but we we don't run in the same circles. But everything I've ever heard from him, I, I love it. When I saw him do a stage show at Winfield... I remember being surprised. He was a good guitarist and a singer. It wasn't just dulcimer, you know. It was everything. Yeah, I want to. I want to put my hands on. Why don't we? What about DPN? What's uh, going back through the different years? How often has he showed up in DPN, like in interviews, that kind of stuff? The last time he was in DPN was uh, uh, when Paul Van Arsdale died. And he had some, because he had gone and interviewed him and done some things with him and wrote and just wrote about his experiences and his love for him. And that was, that was wonderful, but not, not a lot, you know, it's interesting. Some of the people that were formative influences for me, like John McCutcheon and Malcolm Douglish, uh, some of those folks haven't been as involved in the festival scene. You know, haven't been involved at all, actually. Well, think, mostly. think about like mountain, Dul- like a dulcimer festival. The majority of the players are mountain. And, and then you've got the hammer in there as well. But it's oh, almost weird. I wonder yeah. if a lot of hammer dulcimer pros find they have to reach outside the dulcimer festival world in order to, to, to make a living and to, you know, be active. And so maybe that's one reason we, because I know Malcolm didn't he do choir direct choirs is, and compositions yeah. and I, I think a really I think some cool interviews would be getting some guys and gals like John McCutcheon and and just say look we know you do a lot of things we know you're not just a, a dulcimer player but can we just geek out on dulcimer for a little bit like I'd love to hear right. people he's met. Uh, his ideas on stereo recording or hammer, how to how to use hammers, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, these guys might be willing. I guess let's ask the audience about this. Uh, next week, for instance, we have an interview scheduled with Russell Cook. That ought to be cool. And it's not so much to talk about Russell and get Russell talking. You know, it's not a artist profile kinds of thing kind of thing that we're doing uh, with Russell. What inspired me to say. Russell, we need to do this, was just a conversation we had. And honestly, I was talking about why really good instruments are so expensive. Yeah. And he was talking about what he's doing to try to keep them from being so expensive, but then explaining from a technical standpoint all the stuff that goes into making a, you know, big instrument a complicated one like this dulci forte that he's making and uh ray moore's with uh, dusty strings would say the same thing uh simple instruments they don't cost as much but anyway race race cars cost more for a reason you know and i just said you know this conversation is something we should have publicly so back to where i was i lost my train of thought 
I wonder if people would like to hear more interviews with folks like that. Or just conversations. You know? Well, isn't that what a good interview is? I, I want to stay away from scripted podcasts. Although I value them. Right. It's just I want to stay away from that. We're not good at that. That's the deal. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I can't argue with that. Uh, So one thing I want to... I want to bring this up from the past. I know I've been unclear on it. And since I've studied sound so much in the last five years... And don't groan, because I'm serious. I want to get this straightened out once and for all for... I'm playing a little John McCutcheon step-by-step in the background while you talk. Okay. So go. Keep talking. Don't get us in trouble now. So this, when you hit a hammer dulcimer or strum a mountain dulcimer, there's that initial attack of the instrument, the hammer, the pick, right? Correct. And... Let's just talk about the very attack of the sound. With a hammer, you might have the the hard surface of the wood, or you might use the soft side of the hammer. You might use your fingernails to pluck it on the dulcimer. You've got different size picks, you know, different thicknesses. You might be finger picking. You might have the flesh of your finger. You might have a fingernail, finger picks. That initial attack, I don't want to talk about anything past the attack for a second. That initial attack, I hear... I always think of it as a knocking. Forget about the main body of the the sound as it rings out, but that initial attack, I hear like almost like if you took your knuckle and knocked on a hammer dulcimer or a mountain dulcimer, I hear a little bit of that knock right at the attack. Okay, I've some instruments that knocking is more prominent. And then after the attack, after that knocking, you get your main sound. And sometimes that main sound seems to be low compared to the knocking. And sometimes that main sound seems to be high compared to the knocking. So for instance, there's an instrument that I've not enjoyed playing. Where when you strum that dulcimer, you hear that knock louder than in other instruments. And then when the main body of the sound happens, it's a, at a lower volume. So you got more knock, less body. Mm. And then finally, this is the controversial thing we talk about, and I don't mind uh, getting our terms straight. Then the, si- the, the main body of the sound, it starts to die away. And we often, you know, I always call that sustain. That's release. <laughs> But I think I I got you on that. I think, I mean, I I don't know about scientists, but I can agree with you now. That we don't have to argue about that. I, no, no. I think that's I I think we're both seeing eye to eye on that. So, that's one way I judge instruments. I hear that knock. I listen to the quality of the body of the sound and the volume compared to the knocking, and then I listen to how long is the release on the instrument. The thing that bothers me, of course, is excessive knocking. That, for some reason, that just bothers me like crazy. And then, and then the the release of the sound. If it's too short, 
sometimes. So I, the instruments I like the least, heavy knock at the attack and a very quick release. So let me ask you this. It sounds like, are you, are you, are you making a salad? What are you doing? (laughs) No, I'm, I just put some new leather on hammers and I'm uh, putting them in pairs for some reason. He's doing factory work during the podcast. (laughs) I am. Um, So do you know what I I mean by that knocking? And I mean, in particular, when it annoys you. Well, let me ask, I want here's the question. And I'm thinking of mountain dulcimers primarily for me. But, but leaving, leaving it for a minute, thinking about a piano. The knocking is super pronounced on the high end of the piano. Or you actually hear the wood box. You actually hear clunk, clunk, clunk with every key strike as you go up high. Unless you strike it very softly up there. Uh, You don't hear it so much even if you hit it hard because the low frequencies, there's so much more volume. Are they covering it up? Well, I'm saying that, and I think that's true. But maybe here's another idea. Maybe it's that the high frequency well it, it could be that it's just not as loud but it also could be that the stiffness when you get to that creates more knock yeah i was thinking of that too and for all so we know the, the felts are yeah. the, the felts are thinner up there aren't they on the the smaller strings on I a hand i mean on a piano huh so my question is could it be down to subtleties of well if you play in this register on this instrument the knock is more pronounced and when you sit down to do what steve does of course i mean you use the entire instrument but could it be you know pick and attack that's part of it what are are you saying could it could it be that if you used a different pick or maybe if you just finger pick on some instruments that it produces a pleasant tone. Well, the mountain dulcimers that have the most knocking attack, if you finger pick them, I like them a lot better. Yeah, so is it possible that it's just that that instrument's better for finger picking? And, uh, and it's, yeah. you know, so much, like if you go to a builder and ask for a custom instrument and you say, well, I want a little bit of that knocking, but not much. And I want, I mean, they can <laughs> kind of go for it, but it never yeah. seems to work out. I mean, some of that stuff is just, you get, you, you're better off just looking at what's out there and seeing what is and, and, and picking what you right. like. But And you have to be careful, I think, about saying, well, that builder, now if they only build one instrument, I think you're safe to say that builder's instrument instruments have a certain characteristic but when i look at uh, russell cook's early instruments compared to this dulci forte that he's making now they sound like they're from different manufacturers and they have different uh characteristics oh and he's always had different models right that were yeah yeah and he still sells the ones that i've always said this that if i'm playing a funeral there's a certain (laughs) instrument that makes people it's just light and airy and it's close to what i would call angelic sounding and, and some of my favorite hammer dulcimer sounds are his instruments like with the ex, the really long release i like that right and i realized that, that for one, a yeah. faster Shimmery. tune maybe you want shorter release or whatever well there's more than just the release to it but you know back when i was really relying on everything i did was about performance that instrument was not one I could get, I'll, I'll just say, it's not one I could get a standing ovation out of. 
You know, as far as getting audiences excited to where they're like, yeah, and everybody claps and jumps up, I needed something else for that. Does that make sense? Well, when I first heard you live, it was maybe the, it was one of the first times I had ever heard you, period, and you were on that Dusty Strings. On the D650, yeah. And I remember thinking, right or wrong, I remember thinking there's a faster release here, the sound dies away quicker, and it's more of a punchy sound which was very exciting but not as punchy as the the punchiest in my opinion other people can disagree is still david uh Lindsay's. well i don't know much but that's what came to my mind oh man that instrument sounds i get i want to stand up <laughs> I, when i play that thing it's just i played that with the uh oh goodness what are the brothers the uh from down in texas the vandevers they all use those and we we all played together at uh, what's the what's the festival that Dana puts on down there? Is that Winterfest? Yeah. Well, if you're talking yeah. about the Lindsays, yeah. Well, the the Lindsays are there, but it's the one that Dana puts on in. Uh, oh, you're oh. thinking of um of oh shoot the Lone Glen Star. Rose Glen Rose Festival, yeah. I got to perform with those guys down there, and we were all playing the big instrument, and each, you know, we had three of them, and that was exciting sounding. I'm like, wow. In order to get that, and we're back to where you started now, that particular instrument has some other characteristics. It's not the instrument that I would want to take to a funeral to play. It's at the other end of the spectrum. Does that make sense? Though, I mean, I'm sure a good you could do it and it would be fine. But I don't know. Sometimes you have to have more than one instrument. There's, I'm not saying at all one's better than another. It's they just all, so nice to find one yeah. that's, that's got a little bit of, it's, it, you know, like I always want one that's, it's not perfect, but it's got a little bit of everything that matters to me. And when I get on the airplane, I just have one. I like that. You know, it's not ideal for the, maybe for the recording studio, but... I, I just... Uh, well, then it's not one. Then it's just the one that you're choosing now, and you're going to not do some things. You're not going to go record with it. It's good for what you're using it for. That's just the reality of it. The sound of the instruments, I mean, when I... The the biggest lesson I ever learned is when I had been away from a McSpadden for a while, and I love McSpadden with heavier strings, love it. And then I came back to the McSpadden... And it sounded really thick and bassy and strange. But then, and when I say I came back, I mean, just one night after a couple of years of not yeah. playing it, I just sat down with it. And and within about 10 minutes, I'm thinking to myself, this is the best sounding dulcimer I've ever heard. This thing sounds amazing. <laughs> it's like go back and forth with my Rosetta. And then I went back to the dulcimer I had been playing, and I was like, whoa, that totally doesn't sound like it did a half hour ago. So like, yeah. I'm really aware of the fact that our ears adjust and there's some psychology involved here. But um, it's like, like being with friends, you know, uh, the whole concept of having a best friend isn't that's contrived. I know. I think. But right now, the McCafferty is my best friend right now. <laughs> that's my. Oh, really? Well, I mean, it's it's got you know, no dulcimer is perfect, but it's got a little more meat, and I sure enjoy this meaty quality of sound. But it's this whole thing about instruments. It's like it's always 
it's hard ha- picking picking instruments. And then what about when somebody asks you what they should buy? It's crazy. Um, yeah. Well, I had a student leave just a few minutes ago, and he's he's going to start looking at a larger instrument, and they will buy what I tell them to buy. Yeah, no doubt. And so you have to be really careful, it, especially if you're in a situation where you're selling one in particular. Uh, I mean, if if you can't be that careful, I would say this to everyone: <clears throat> at least make sure you're honest up front and say, "Well, I'm selling this instrument, and so I'm going to be, I'm going to have this bias that way." But right. But I always try to mention at least three different builders when I do have to. You know, I yeah, but that can be a selling technique. Yeah, but I never want to be the guy that's like, this is what you need right here. And then next week you're on to something else. I mean, even when I think that's true sometimes, um, you know, and now I realize, now that I've been playing Terry's instruments for a while, I realize that sometimes I just look like, you know, I'm pushing this stuff. But... I, I don't never, know that there's anything wrong with that. Just be honest about it. I never have been able to play an instrument that I don't love, you know, for long yeah. term. And I've played a lot of different instruments that I've loved, but I don't well, have the heart to make the musical expression happen if that instrument yeah. isn't, if I'm not in love with it. I can't do it. I mean, you, right. well, if I had to, I, I might could, but it, it, I can't fake it. If the builders were robots and they just, you know, you just dialed up some numbers and it and out popped a dulcimer, there would still be some differences between the dulcimers that pop out because there are ingrained differences in wood. True. Well, yeah. Yeah, It's possible you could get a McCafferty you don't like. Yeah. Or that maybe McCafferty doesn't like, you know. These things happen. But what about a, what about, I don't know if it's true in the hammer dulcimer world, but in the mountain dulcimer world, sometimes the prettier woods don't sound as good. I don't know if that's always true, but it seems like it's true a lot. I always there's, want there's, the prettier yeah. wood. It, I want it. <laughs> there's a lot of life correlations but, with that one. But then you'll find a, 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 a walnut dulcimer that just sounds brilliant. Yeah. Did, did, hammer dulcimer, I don't see as many ornate woods. Yeah, I'm not a wood snob. I I kind of don't care. People ask me what wood is in my instrument. I'm like, I don't even know anymore. They're like, yeah. well, what wood do you prefer? And I'm like, I know what I, I will say. This you know, I'm I'm hearing a difference. Let's see. I can think of four builders now who are mixing woods within the bridge, and a couple are doing. Uh, gradient densities of woods mm-hmm. for the soundboards as well. And I can tell a difference in those. Uh, and as far as I know, I mean, maybe it's that way inside the piano as well. Uh, because you could see that a certain wood would have a tone that would work well for higher frequencies versus right. lower frequencies. I right? mean, I, I often say I like a redwood top, cherry back and sides. But... You'd have a dulcimer builder who makes something out of that. And I mean, so much of it has to do with things that aren't the wood, too. That it's just. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but there's some. I've heard some laminate 
instruments. That I know. Sometimes on, the best sounding ones are plywood squares. I know. <laughs> well, that's uh, in Dusty Strings line in their lower end. The <laughs> their plywood top apprentice sounds pretty good, and uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank, and he's probably listening right now. I can see his face. Uh, Songbird. Oh, what is his name? Getting old's tough, man. Who are you thinking your, about? Uh, he's building laminates. You know, like some kind of laminate top. What is his name? I'm looking it up. Well, I guess one reason I'm thinking about instruments so much is I've been trying to thin the herd here. <laughs> and uh, I've got these dulcimers hung up. I'll try to post a picture of that. Um, I just, oh, so many of these instruments today. And I'll look at one and I'll think, well, I'm probably not going to use that this year. But I would never get rid of that one because... It's got such a special sound, but it's so specialized. I wouldn't ever have it be my carry around. And how many do I want? I don't want all these. Right. Chris Foss was the name I was trying okay. to think of a minute ago. Of course. But, I mean, that's the beauty of the time we live in. You have choices. And even if you only had one instrument, you'd still have choices about what kind of pick you use and how are you going to play it and what tuning. And choices are great, I think. I'll tell you, here's something. These, um, sometimes I think there's some things people hyper-focus on that really aren't that helpful. I mean, I do that every day, I'm sure, in different ways. But the biggest one I'm seeing right now in the dulcimer world is people want a shorter fingerboard. And I admit, there's certain things I can do better with a shorter fingerboard. But it so often seems like the the longer fingerboards sound better to me more yeah you're a big guy though you're you're I know I'm a big guy but here's the bigger thing bigger than mine the chord shapes mountain dulcimer players don't like on a long dulcimer the 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 biggest offender would be the 1 2 4 chord starting on the bass 1 2 4 so here's the funny thing about that i quit using that I mean, I might use it every once in a while, but you know why I don't use it? Because there's two alternatives that are easy and they get the job done. I even think they sound better. So it's like, there's like three main, three to five chords that are rough on a long dulcimer. And I've found alternatives for all of them and I'm moving on with my life. All right, so I've got one in my hands. Me too. Uh, gracious. You're going to fix me. Is that a can, Joe? What do you got? Don't say the name, just in case. I'm no. just saying over my you headphones. Know which it's, it's, this is yeah, this stop it. To be yours. Stop it. You've played this one on stage. No, but here's the point. Over my headphones, over the phone, it just sounds like a can, Joe. Oh, sounds bad. All right. So tell me the one. And this is a long, and it's long, long and I actually like that one a lot. So play yeah. a, starting on the bass, middle index thumb. Try a one, two, four. I'm putting my middle finger on the bass string. That's right. One, two, and four. My index finger on the uh, third fret. And then Second the fret. It's a one, two, four. A one. Oh, that's hard. <laughs> okay, let me show you how to make it I, I worse. I can't reach that. I'm going to show you how to and make it is... worse. Are you ready? Yes. I want you to pull the left side of the instrument very close to your body. Okay. That's going to make it even harder. 
Yeah, because <laughs> I have to so this get is my a, elbow to go up so behind my back. So let's talk about this. A lot of people will have that instrument too close to their body telling me, right. oh, I need a shorter instrument. Now push that instrument away from your body and watch how your wrist straightens out. Yeah, that's easier. There's okay, no well, that's doubt. just one of like eight things you can do to make the one. Th- Here's another one. But you said there's another way to. Well, let me that's give a you whole another lot one. easier. Yeah, let me give you another because this is fun. Whatever finger is on the middle string, the length of that nail can be a bigger problem than your other fingers. So I want the you to imagine the nail of fingernail. So you've got middle index thumb holding down a one, two, four. So you have your index finger on the middle string. I want Correct. you to imagine having a nice manicured long fingernail on that index finger. Yeah, I'd have to lay it down flat. Then. Okay, so that's what a lot of these people are doing. So they got two things going against them. The instrument's too close to their body. They got a long fingernail on that middle string. This still hurts a little bit, though. Yeah, I know. Well, here's another example. You ready for this next one? Yep. Check out this idea. Ideally, you want your hand as compressed as it can be on these rough chords. I mean, some chords is just not a big deal. Explain, explain, define compressed. You don't want to be stretched out any farther than necessary. So check out this idea. On the one, two, four chord, the leftmost finger should be as close to the first fret as you can get it without messing up the sound. Got it. Okay. Now to anybody looking at you, they might even think you're on that fret, but you're actually to the left of it with a little bit of your finger skin hanging over, not affecting the tone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you got your leftmost finger of that chord shape as close to the metal as you can get it. Now let's go to the other side of your hand, the thumb on the melody string. You want this as far away from its fret as you can get without compromising the sound. Yeah, I'm surprised in in doing this while you're talking how close I can get it to the left, to the fret to the left of it. Without messing the sound up, right? All right, so check this out on the right side. A lot of people teach this idea that you should always be right next to the frets and it's causing people to overstretch on these chord shapes. Now, if the chord is easy to play, then we're not talking about any of this. This is on these challenging chords that cause you to stretch. So your thumb of your your hand that's on four, how far can you get that away from the fret, the fourth fret before the sound starts to be compromised? I can get it down to about three, almost four-fifths, but certainly three-fifths of the way. So here's what I've discovered as, as a general rule. So listen, rule. listen. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say what they are. So here's one. I'm dividing this in five. There's one. There's two. There's three. There's four, and it's still working. It messes up at five. Okay, well, that where it messed up at five, I want you to try picking softer and see what happens. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, here's what happens. When you are too far away from the fret, sometimes you can just strum a little softer and get away with it. So here's another alternative. You can press a little harder too, I'm seeing. Um, But generally, when I have to make the hand um, compress as much as possible, I want the rightmost finger to be just right of the center line on the space. Oh, so that's way over. Yeah. So here's a rule. When something is stressing your hand out, get the leftmost finger 
as close to the fret as you can get it. Get the rightmost finger. Uh, just try right of center. See how that works. But here's the funny thing, Dan. You know, the vo how hard you're strumming affects this. And another thing, how you're sitting. What you're doing sure. with your torso. And there's all kinds of factors. And then how about this one? How about we quit using the one, two, four? Let me give you another one. Try a four, <laughs> okay. four, four. All right. Four, just straight across. Yeah. So sometimes that's a good alternative if your melody's on the melody string at four. Or let me so give you another one. One, two, four. Yeah, four, tr four, four. try okay. this one. One, oh, four. One, oh, four. Very easy to... Okay, so That's check easy. this out. When somebody says their hand isn't big enough, and you ask them, well, which chord shapes are giving you the most trouble? They usually have a super short list. And once I correct the, the way they're holding their dulcimer, or what fingers they're using, trim this fingernail, you know, try this alternate chord, for the most part, I think, you, you know, you can fix the problem. Now, I do admit, a shorter dulcimer, there's certain things that are easier for me. But it's like, we don't need shorter dulcimers. I know people have hand trouble. Sometimes people just have poor technique, you know. Now, having said all that, I am now using a slightly shorter dulcimer. It splits the difference. I like it. But my original thought to you was, are there any things in the hammer dulcimer world where people blame something regularly and it really isn't that? Or it's not as much as they think. <laughs> Come on, give me a good one. Something you're tired of hearing. And you might even be wrong about it. I mean, we're not beyond We've error talked about here. the we've talked about one of them a lot, and that's too much sustain. Uh, so when somebody wants a new hammer dulcimer, you know how sometimes they just want a new one. That's fine. Yeah, but I can take the hammer dulcimer they have and change their perception of the sustain that's on there by changing hammers and hammering styles. And when you say sustain, you mean the sound dying away, the release? Yeah, how long it, right. No, I'm talking about the, the sustain. <clears throat> because you've got, you know, attack, decay, sustain, release. That uh, the decay, how far it, the sound initially falls off as compared to the attack, most of that has to do with the surface, with the surface of the hammer and the weight of the hammer that you strike it with. I want to propose that we switch to attack decay release, an ADR. Because your hammer dulcimer may have some uh, energy that, that gets held a little bit, but for the most part, you've got an attack and then you have the decay and the release and i guess i would just say there's an attack decay that's all you have i don't even know dan i don't know when you look at it on a scope though i think you have attack decay like an old moog you an see them there's a there's a watt there's a point though where it i mean obviously because of entropy if we want to get into physics everything is decaying uh but yeah then you could just say attack decay but the sustain holds something holds more at a certain part of the decay yeah, and so, right. Yeah. So attack sustained decay and no release because that's a MIDI <laughs> instrument. No, but <laughs> that's funny though, but that's also, yeah, I know, I know that's a MIDI instrument. There's one other letter they put in on MIDI. What is it? Is it, and it has to do with formant or something. Is it F? Do they say formant? Formant. Formant, yeah. We're getting too geeky. 
the Dulcimer Geek Podcast, dude. You picked up the wrong one if you want to hear okay, us talk about Okay, I thought we had cookies. settled this, and now I don't know. I w- could we please talk to a, somebody who specializes in physics and music? Can we get All a right, guest can, on here? Can I? Can we? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I know somebody. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move this, if you're comfortable, pull this conversation. I'm never I've got to go pretty soon, too. Oh, come on. But I'm going to pull it over into something that uh, I'm excited about, and yeah. it goes along with this. And that's why I was familiar, <laughs> that why it's not like I know all my stuff. But I've been messing around with the, uh, what's the sampler engine that's in Logic? The EXS24. E- EXS24. And also there's another one in there that's, uh, oh, what's the one? Oh, you're it's, thinking it has of, a lot of um, pads in it. Can I make a new channel without screwing up the record? Yeah, I'm afraid to look at it too. Oh, why, why can't I think of it? No, but it's uh, you can drop samples into it as well. Alchemy. Yeah. Alchemy. Oh, my goodness. Alchemy's blowing my mind. It is so cool. I, I love what you can do with Alchemy. That. Well, if you go into Alchemy and you take a look at what they show as the envelope parameters, there's a tack to case sustain release. Well, they also have multi-segment envelopes. Yeah. You just said that because it makes you sound smart. That's exactly right. <clears throat> but, uh, all right, so. Anyway, I've, and the reason I've been in that recently, I'm not a synth guy like you, not that that defines you as a synth guy, but or not that me not being a synth guy defines me. Uh, you know this to be true, Steve. For years, I've been trying to find something that I can play with my hammer dulcimer hammers that is musical, and I've had a hard time finding that. Not just and for I've, practice. Not just for practice, I want to perform with it. And I've tried so many things, of, and I just nothing has worked because they. a drumstick has a lot of weight to it. And so a drumstick can trigger MIDI pads, and there have been all kinds of MIDI pads uh, that different manufacturers have made. Well, And I I'm have holding, a MIDI pad, for instance, <clears throat> where if I hit it with my finger lightly, it doesn't even trigger it. Well, that's the problem with, with almost all of them is that that happens. So I'm showing you, nobody else can see this, but if anybody wants to look it up, they can. There's a thing now called a BOP pad, B-O-P-P-A-D, by the Keith McMillan Company. And they did a Kickstarter on this a couple of years ago and then went into production about, a, I think, a little over a year ago or so. And what made me go ahead and drop the 200 bucks to order one was the demo where they were dropping BBs on it. And it was getting the bounces of the BBs. And I said, wait a minute, that's a game changer. It's a light tap. Yeah. So for me, and I'm speaking to other Hammer Dulcimer players here, the, you know, we hear this concept of 10,000 hours, and that's what it takes for mastery, or at least that. <clears throat> you still may not master it because I don't feel I have, but. I've got 10,000 hours in learning how to be a percussionist with these small hammers. I want to use them on drums, but if you take hammers and you try to play a a djembe or a conga or a pipe or anything, they're just not heavy enough to produce anything other than a ticky-ticky sound. And they're not heavy enough to make most pads work, most MIDI pads. They work on this, and I am so blown away by how well they work. And this thing... 
it's divided into quadrants, so it's not like separate pads. It's just a big circle with a, with a plus sign through the middle of it showing where the quadrants are. And you can choose where you hit on the radius. So it only picks up three things. It picks up the note that you've programmed it to. Well, it picked one of four that. notes. Forget what I just said. It picks up strike. That's one. It picks up radius where you are within the quarter of a circle. And it picks up pressure. Oh, that's cool. So it picks up where you're at in that quadrant, that one. Yeah, in that quadrant, in, in a radius of that. And so it's, it's, it's radiused out. If the whole It would just be circles if it wasn't divided into four. Then you have the option to assign up to five notes to a strike within one quadrant. And then you have the option, what they call mod lines, modulation lines of some kind that you can assign up to five mod lines. And the mod lines can either go with the strike or they can be CC, which you know what that is, Steve. It's a cha- it, uh, it's, it doesn't stand for channel change. What's it stand for? It's a control. It it oh, what is it Control called? change. Yeah, control okay. change. Sends a control, and there are many controls that you can send. So anyway, it uses... It uses a control change on the radius or on the pressure. And so you can build pretty complex things that happen when you strike one of these spots on here. And that's why I've been in alchemy and I'm building some stuff. And <laughs> Angie will see me, you know, sitting, I was sitting in bed last night playing this bot pad, wearing headphones and just couldn't stop grinning because I'm like, this is so cool. So you can play it like a hand drum with your hands. If you want to, yeah. But the beauty is it works with hammer dulcimer sticks. So the funny thing online, I'm looking at two reviews. One is praising it, and it's saying, you know, when you hit one quadrant, the others don't pick that up. And then the other review says it does. So there's absolutely a disagreement there. <clears throat> so Crosstalk. Yeah, and you can dial in or out the crosstalk. So that's up to you. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Speaking of crosstalk, I have to go right now. Oh my gosh, I do right so now. So can we maybe hear some of this next time, or yeah, maybe I after about Russell's? It today. We could do it after. Oh, Russell's. that's true. That's true. Yeah, gladly. Ladies All and right. gentlemen, you've been listening to the Dulcimer Folk Podcast. No, what is this called? <laughs> Dulcimer Geek, you dummy. I'll see you later. <laughs>